Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code SPOTIFY for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Hey, everybody. I am here with Louis Zezeran. What's up, man? How you doing? Hey, man. Nice to see you again, Bob. Thanks for inviting me on. It's a pleasure. Yeah, thanks for coming. I uh, I was held up sick for a couple of weeks, and I just started thinking, like, if I'm going to work myself to near death, I want to start doing things that are, that I want to do for fun as well as, you know, con- try to continue all the other work. And you were one of the first people I thought of because I was a guest on your podcast a couple of years ago now, I think. I had a great time, and we kept saying we were going to do another one, but there wasn't, like, a, a technical specific reason for us to do it. And there actually kind of is now, too, which is uh, funny timing, but... Um, <laughs> I just kind of wanted to hang out with uh, somewhat like-minded people. Uh, you're a comedian, also a retro nerd like us, and, uh, and just a, somebody who I enjoy listening to some of your podcasts. So I wanted to have you on. Thanks, man. And uh, it, I'm happy to be here. I We were talking before. I wrote some notes. I, I, I wrote some notes because, look, I think on this podcast, Bob, you have so many really talented people. And I'm like, look, I've never produced a retro tink. I don't know how to make them. I never made a mod chip. I don't know what to do, but the least I can do is write down some thoughts for us to talk about. <laughs> that's awesome. <coughs> yeah, my how apologies. are you? How are you, Bob? Though I think that's what we. I mean, we're hearing bits and pieces through the the subscriber. Uh, you, you talked a bit on the subscriber. I know you had that last bit in the. You talked a little bit about in the video, the last one that just went an hour ago. But how are you? Yeah, I got the Rona. It sucked. It uh, and it was poorly timed in that I was just just getting into burnout again, which, you know, for anybody that hasn't gone through that, the very short version is like it's very easy to visualize a construction worker doing manual labor, <clears throat> not taking a break, working too many hours and just their muscles don't work anymore. Well, your whole body works like that. It just if you're not doing manual labor, it takes a lot longer to eventually burn out. But eventually, like, it's almost like you're getting sick and exhausted and you can't just do the normal things. And I was right at that point. Um, I just talked about it when I was uh, talking with James in a podcast we did. And I started to get sick. And it started to get worse every day, but not bad. Just like, what is, is this allergies? I've never had allergies before. Like, is this a cold? Is this? And then my wife was like, hey, you know, if you're getting sick, I have to get tested because I go into the office. That's like office rules. And I'm like, all right. And I went in and I was like, look, I want the three-day test. I want the more accurate one. Uh, And like a 19-year-old kid was like, no, 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 we got to do this first. And I'm like, all right. And they did a good job and everything. And they're like, all right, uh, it takes like 15 minutes to get your test results back. It just showed up positive and like his eyes bugged out of his head and I'm like, oh, fucking Christ. So uh, the, the PA comes in and just immediately starts talking down to me, which is if you want me to, to just uh, completely dismiss every word that comes out of your mouth, the first <laughs> thing out of your mouth, talk down to me and that's it. So I was yeah. just like, no, look, I'll treat it like I have it, but I want the three day test. I have a lot of friends that had false positives and they mm. were like, no, you're fine. Uh, you, you definitely got it. And I'm like, all right. They're like, you have any questions? I'm like, well, there's nothing to do, right? There's no cure yet. Whatever you pumped Trump full with, you're, you know, you're not going to give it to me. He was back to full douche in a day and a half. But fucking, 
uh, she just shook her head and I just walked out the door. They never told me anything. By the way, you get um, in New York, when you get tested positive, you get calls from the government. And if you don't respond and do these crazy things, they'll send the cops to your house. It's kind of the isolation. Yeah. Yeah. And it's, you know, half of it's half of it's positive in that. Like, do you need food? Do you need supplies? We could bring them to you. Don't leave your house. But like, how about I'm a grown ass adult? You know, and I'm married and I live with somebody. Can I just opt out of this? I'm not going to leave my house. But no. So I went home. I'm dealing with all that. And I'm laughing with my friends. Like, I don't have fucking Rona. Although my nose is burning now and I'm starting to lose some smell. Like, did they put the Rona in my nose with that stupid stick or something like that? Like, we're <laughs> That's all laughing the conspiracy. At that. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And that the Tuesday before John stepped in, I woke up and I was like, I don't think I could smell or taste anything. My wife was like, well, I don't know, like bite into a lemon or something. And not only did I bite into it, I took like a third of it and just went like it was an orange. (laughs) And her eyes bugged out of her head and nothing, no reaction, nothing. And I'm like, look, I could be faking, but that's some serial killer shit right there. Like, I'm not on that level. Like, this definitely (laughs) is a... So I recorded the podcast real quick. And by the end of that day, I was that was it. I was just knocked out for like a week. And it's like the worst hangover you've ever had. Like everything hurts, your hair hurts, like it hurts to breathe, you can't think, and the flu at the same time, right? So like you get the chills, the fever, and all that stuff. That was for a week, and then I felt better for everything except kind of really exhausted still and a cough. And then they they tell you to get these little meters to put on your finger to test your blood oxygen levels. Huh. And it was like 87 or something, which is very bad. So I called my doctor and he was like, my doctor's awesome. I'm going the same guy forever. He's like a a super smart old hippie type of guy. And he was like, look, you probably have to go to the hospital. I was like, listen, I review tech for a living. There's no way I'm letting this $7 Wuhan finger stick determine whether I go to a hospital or not. I'm going to order another one from a recommended source and test again tomorrow. And sure as shit, the next day I put it on and it was like 94 or something. It was not good, but it certainly wasn't go to the hospital level. So it was a couple of days of that. And then uh, then that dropped, the good one dropped down in the 80s again. And he was like, well, keep monitoring it. You might have to go to the hospital. My cough got really bad. And I when I get coughs, I tend to get them for like months so like i i knew once it started to get bad i was like oh this isn't going away but i was kind of and then it just went away as fast as it came and everybody that i looked up online the doctor that i talked to my friends all said when you no longer have a fever even like no medicine just uh you know but you don't have a fever anymore you're no longer contagious and i still waited another week to leave the house just in case because i don't want to be responsible for killing somebody who has asthma or something like that you know but i bet who would want that on there you know sorry guys whoops gave you the rona yeah right nobody yeah i have a weird mentality on that like if i was laying in bed and somebody kicked my apartment door open and tried to kill me and i offed him i don't think i'd have a single problem with that but if i accidentally killed some old lady because i sneezed on the sidewalk like that would haunt me forever so i didn't i didn't want that on my conscience you know was your resistance to going to the hospital because it's america and it's going to cost a butt ton of money that was part of it and uh you know here's some controversy i'm sure i'm gonna get somebody's gonna try to cancel me for saying this but i i worked in hospitals uh, doing it stuff for 12 years so we designed computers that were to go into um really high-end homes for touchscreens this was right before the ipad so you know right now you're like oh a touchscreen you know, go fuck yourself <laughs> everybody has it to... no this was back when that was important but the main customer was hospitals and i saw some stuff there that makes me never 
want to set foot into a hospital for the rest of my life unless I have to. <coughs> we had to like mount these computers. <laughs> he says to- as he coughs. <laughs> yeah. We had to mount these computers to a wall and they would take patients out of the room or be like, oh, the patient's going for, you know, a CT scan. I'd go in, you know, I'd have a, a mask on, I'd drill holes in the wall, dust would be everywhere, and they would just bring the patient back in. That's so illegal in every state and probably most countries too, but they didn't care at all. I uh, I messed up my hand a little bit. I just got a t- tiny, tiny little bit of surgery. I came back one day and I had, cause you know, you're walking around the hospital. So you get to know all the security people. Cause they're like, who's mm-hmm. this weird fat guy with the ladder walking around our hospital. And I walk in and the head of security was like, Hey, what's up? I haven't seen you. Oh, what happened to your hand? I was like, Oh, no big deal. I just had a little bit of surgery. I swear to God. He looks at me and goes, not here. Right. <laughs> and I went, no, no. He goes, whew. All right. Uh, yeah, it's uh, that's a f- kind of funny but terrifying story, and there's so many like that. There's some really great hospitals and amazing doctors and all that stuff too. But once you've seen like the one percent, you don't want a chance that you know that even though the other ninety nine percent are probably fine and amazing in some cases, like it's it scared me to death. I would rather die at home than die because some you know. Some reject doctor could only get a job at this one hospital because it's the worst hospital around. And that happens. To, I actually don't know if the hospital near me is good or not. So, you know, but my my apprehension is just a generalized one. So. All good. Hey, am I still there? I think I dropped out for a second. I wasn't sure if that was. Yeah, your window resized. That's no big deal, though. I'll just fix that while we're talking. Here, okay. So. No worries. That's cool. Um, well, I think we're all, everyone who watches all your stuff and your podcast, we're all super happy that you're feeling better. Um, it's got to be difficult like for you to I, – I often wonder to myself how does – and not just you, people in your position uh, who are working for a community, uh, contributing, creators, that sort of thing. I mean how do you have a holiday? How does how does Bob get time you, off you usually? The, in fact – you know, and when I say this, by the way, I absolutely love what I do. You know, ever since absolutely. I started doing retro RGB full time, I've had some offers to go back doing product development, IT style stuff the way I used to for double the pay, if, if not more, and half the hours. But I love doing this. I love knowing that, like, people could rely on me like, hey, I have a product. I don't know how to get it manufactured. You know, is this what people want? Like, I, I, I love videos. I love the articles. I love all that. But helping other developers is the coolest thing in the world for me. I never ask for credit. I never, ever ask for pay ever. I mean, technically, sometimes I have affiliate links, but I don't think that counts. No one ever pays yeah. me money to do this stuff. And I, I love yeah. doing it all. But there is no vacation. There are no breaks seven days a week is there some way to i mean i get that uh, and I, I think you spoke in the um, uh it was the end of the 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 weekly roundup that you just posted you were speaking about you know some uh, your thoughts and feelings and your concerns for the community and concerns for those people that are following you and you express regret and sorry that i can't do that i wonder is there a way to because this is clearly unmaintainable for not just for you not just talking right, about yeah. your situation but for any creator in your situation we've got to have days off we've got to have breaks that is a if you worked a regular job well i don't know i presume in america you got two weeks what four weeks i don't know how much you guys get much. over it's there like two weeks for the first five <laughs> years or ten years you work at a company but okay i'm in europe i'm used to four weeks yeah. leave so i'm thinking more about four weeks i mean that's to me that's like a basic human necessity and somehow we have to find a way to work this in uh but it's something that i guess that as a creators as a a greater community with the culture haven't quite worked out how to 
make that happen yet. Yeah. The uh, the live streams I've been doing, which <coughs> if I wasn't hacking up along here, I would love to have done this live. But those those are really helping in that it's still a lot of work. But I get to actually play a video game, which I don't have time to do unless mm-hmm. I do these live streams. Um, but it also has given me a, a totally renewed appreciation for my streamer friends because I never doubted what they did. I knew, uh, like, you think you know, but then you start actually doing it and there's so much going on. You have to make sure your tech's working. You have to pay attention to the chat. You have to make sure what you say is right. Because if it's just you and me at a bar drinking beer and I say something ridiculously stupid, you know that I'm just sitting at a bar with you being stupid i don't actually mean it and if you're offended you could be like hey dick why don't you back that off like but when you're when you have a (laughs) couple hundred people watching and then more people watching after you have to make sure that nothing falls out of your mouth the wrong way while still trying to play a video game and not suck at it i'm not great at games anyway so it's um you know i've always respected what my friends done uh, did with with their professional streaming careers but uh, you, you do definitely have a new uh a new type of respect when you start to try to do it yourself, even though I guess I would call my streams casual, not pro streaming, but it's still the same effect of like, you got to be careful what you, what you do or say, you got to try to be entertaining and not just a lump in a chair playing a game. So I had a, a friend of mine here I, and I live for people watching. I live in the country of Estonia in Europe. Uh, it's out on the edge of it's in the EU. It's on the edge of Russia. Uh, just, just before you hit that, and uh, I have a friend of mine who's just become a streamer here, or he has moved. He's been a, a CS:GO guy. He's a, a, an Overwatch guy, and um, sorry, that's the game is an Overwatch anyway. <laughs> and he's been doing commentary, and now he's doing streaming. And there was one day he's sort of getting 30, 40, 50 people each day, and that's great. A very excellent result because he's doing it in Estonian language. So you have like a very small target market. And I understood this thing on Twitch where you can. Like if you end your stream, you can redirect all your viewers to somebody else at the end. And he's got, I mean, he's doing it in Estonian. He's got a bunch of savage little 13 and 14-year-old Estonian kids watching him play GeoGuessr or or whatever it might be. And he, for some reason that day, decided to redirect his stream to this really nice, gentle, welcoming, opening young lady from the UK who's streaming. Guys, everything's oh. nice and we're warm and inclusive. And that's cool if you're that sort yeah. of person. No problems if that's your community. But then about 40 little, 40 little 14-year-old Estonian savages got dumped into the chat and they're all just in Estonian swearing their heads off. This chick's like, please speak English. I don't know what to do. There's my friend Carl. He's in English going, I'm really sorry about this, God. He's there apologizing for both sides. It it was like, it's like when, if you're just inside of your family, you know you're all crazy. But then if someone comes and sees your family and you just realize like, oh God, I'm related. It was exactly that moment. That, so there's a million things that streamers need to to look that after. Is crazy and funny. <laughs> yeah, I mean that's a perfect segue because um I wasn't just doing this to bitch about being sick and streaming. I got, I wanted to tell <laughs> No, that was story. me. I was I by the way, that was part of my part of the plan. Just want everyone to know uh, that. Thank okay. You. So ahead, um your <clears throat> your origin story is pretty awesome. Um you want to tell uh, you know where you were from, where you moved to, and why you moved there, because that was certainly a, not a common story, and I, it's not an insult, obviously, but it's a it's a pretty unique story. <laughs> uh, no, so I'm uh, I, 
I'm Australian and uh, I grew up in Australia, but uh, when I was about 26, I decided to travel the world and do all of that. And I ended up uh, settling down in Estonia here on the edge of Europe. And then uh, I have a Masters so, of computer so hold on. science. Let me, let me I, pause I and walk Java. everybody through this too, because uh, I remember some of Sorry, it. Yeah. But how did you get to Estonia in the first place? Were you bouncing from country to country? In a the plane, Bob. A plane. <laughs> oh, <laughs> a boat. You just you got a couple of you know some wood from a tree that you strung together with straw, and you're just paddling across. <laughs> yeah. No, I mean, did you did you intend to immediately go there? Did you start out and like? Germany, the UK, and bounce, bounce around different countries or something? I my, my friends and I decided to go on the Euro trip. Three Australian guys, and we decided we're going to see the sights and see the girls of Europe, and it's going to be tremendous. And I remember we first, we were landing into Germany, into Frankfurt there, and as they... What was it? it? You wake up in the morning on the plane, and on the plane, about an hour before we touched down in Frankfurt, they served us breakfast schnitzels. And I was like, Germany is amazing. I can eat a schnitzel for breakfast. I'm never leaving. This is a land of freedom. And I kind of knew then that I was going to stay and not, and I, but I didn't know where and what. And uh, we traveled, we, we bought this old Volvo and we drove around Europe for a year. Um, I ended up actually, I did live in Sweden for two years because I have this degree in uh, computer science and they waved a bunch of money in front of my face, kind of like your story. And for a while I was like, yeah, yeah, money. I like money and living and stuff. And, and I, I went back to IT consulting and I just couldn't do it. I just didn't have the heart for it anymore. And I didn't know yet that uh, I was going to be a stand-up comedian. Uh, while I was bored living in Stockholm, I was also like, I need something to do. I'm going to do comedy. And started to do stand-up. So it's a very kind of random transition, I understand. And uh, kind of a, it, the longer story is I had a connection to Estonia. I'd already been there for a while. And um, it was about 10, 12 years ago. They never, they didn't have stand-up comedy in Estonia. It wasn't an, an art form that existed here. That theater and mono theater and other stuff. But no one had just done stand-up like you and I might know it at a comedy club anywhere in New York or anywhere in the world. So we just started to do it. And it kind of went up and up from there and um, now it's a whole, after 10 years, I'm a comedian myself, but I, we run a management agency. We, we develop and promote Estonian stand-up comedians, which I, I imagine I get is a pretty wild kind of idea. And, uh, yeah, I'm the, I'm the leader of that owner of that company and I don't speak Estonian, but we get through it's weirdly not as important as you might yeah, is think. Is English a common language uh, at, in Estonia? Extremely common. So I'm not proud that i don't speak estonian uh definitely i'm such a dumb australian little kid that languages are very hard to get through my head when i was learning languages at school like we didn't learn languages first of all and we didn't even learn grammar like they had some policy at the time in australia just like nah just tell them how to talk as long as they can talk they're fine so i got taught noun and verb that's it that's where it ended can you talk right mate all right so uh, I have struggled to uh, to learn Estonian, but uh, all, everyone in my company speaks Estonian. Everyone around speaks. Uh, I've been in. Uh, I've been fortunate enough to do some national promotional videos for Estonia as well uh, to be a bit of a face for things around here. So um, definitely, to live here as an English speaker is not that 
hard actually yeah, i feel you with the language stuff because when i was uh seventh grade i think they said okay uh you have a choice of spanish or french and i went well you know half of my family speaks this weird eastern european language which is funny because it doesn't actually exist anywhere it's a bunch of romanians albanians and macedonians and greeks all moved to the same area and the language they speak is like an amalgamation of all of them so like they could all sort of understand each other but it, it's it's a weird and long and kind of awesome story i was like but like i don't know anybody that that predominantly speaks french and spanish like i would rather learn that other language and they're like yeah we don't we don't know what that is so i was like all right well i'll just take a, other english classes no one no one ever sat me down and told me, not my parents, not the school, sh- surely not the useless guidance counselor. No one told me, like, if you don't take a language, like, that's for development, developmentally disabled people, people that have a hard time with with just their words. So mm. I remember doing, like, a book report in seventh grade on a book that I did a book report on in third grade. And, like, I was three months in before I realized, like, oh, man, I don't think I'm supposed to be here, but it's too late to change. So I never ended up learning another language. It was it was weird. It's very easy to slip through the cracks here. They don't pay our teachers well enough to, to deal with that. So It is in Australia. And, oh, actually, I mean, I, I told a small fib. I said they didn't teach us languages. Okay. When I was, I went to a high school, like very public school in the middle of like, have you ever seen that TV show, Bob Home and Away? Do you know that TV show from Australia? That sounds so familiar. If you've seen it, that's kind of where I grew up. Countries like seaside, golden sands, blue water. I don't know why I left, but here I am. That's awesome. On the the edge of Russia. But um, uh, yeah, they did in my high school teach us. I had six months of Japanese. That's awesome. we were so stupid little kids. I'm like, when am I ever going to need Japanese? Here I am owning a massive retro games collection, been to Japan four times. When will I ever need Japanese? <laughs> <coughs> yeah, it's funny how that stuff works out. I wish somebody had explained it to me because as life went on, I realized that learning another language opens up different pathways in your brain so you could learn things like programming language is easier or mm-hmm. could communicate luckily though i did have that whole you know uh, we weren't very religious but every time we went to church so my grandparents could see their cousins and everything like nobody really spoke english that well so mm-hmm. well, none of the older people at least so from basically childhood till 19 or whenever i stopped going or something like that i learned to communicate with people just in you know not really with words like occasionally Mm. they'd get a word right and that that did help tremendously throughout all my travels when i got that job that sent me around the world and all that stuff and it was funny too because like you're in a i'm in a business meeting in taiwan and we're talking about airflow of a design and like they're pointing to i I, like told them my idea and they're you know i i didn't understand mandarin but i absolutely understand nerd and they were basically like that there's no freaking way that fat white boy came in here and did a better design than us and i was like no 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 no. the airflow goes the opposite direction don't forget it's gonna be mounted and they all look up and they're like shit he speaks chinese doesn't he and like i don't at all (laughs) i was just like i don't know if this is a good thing or a bad thing but that that definitely stemmed from just being around people that didn't natively speak much or any english you know every sunday for five years or something as a little kid but i do wish i actually had those skills it's had to, for me, uh, my version of that is I was saying that I, I run this talent management for stand-up comedians, yet I don't understand what they're saying in their acts uh, for the when they're doing it in Estonian language. But I've now, I mean, so many hundreds of hours of Estonian stand-up comedy have I watched without understanding it. But 
I almost like I don't need it. Like I, if I hear an Estonian stand-up comedian, I can't hate their jokes, which is actually kind of good for a talent manager. Like I can't hate you. So what I have to do is judge, are you a good comedian? How do the audience like you? I can hear your rhythm and your tone. I can hear a, like for sometimes I can hear a, uh, 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 and I'm like, there should have been a punchline there. Did you bomb? And he's like, yeah, I bombed there. Yeah. Because <laughs> you can hear the rhythm of even in another language so for me it's actually well i would say not an advantage but we've turned it into an advantage that uh it allows me to focus in on everything else besides the actual words the comedian is saying yeah that's a that's a very interesting thing as well i mean it's like that with music i don't really care what language they're speaking and even when they're speaking english i mean i'm a guitar player i listen to the rhythms more than i ever do the lyrics i don't know all the lyrics in some of my favorite songs but like you get the vibe you get the feel you could tell if they're a good you know front person of the band if they're commanding the audience well enough if they're singing in key like it doesn't matter what language you're speaking if you're not in key <laughs> you're not in key right so yeah, it's, mm-hmm. it's an interesting mm-hmm. feel. So I don't know if I missed during a coughing fit or something, but did you make the connection of how you got from uh, Sweden to Estonia? Uh, we've been traveling around a lot. Uh, it's very easy to travel around. There's ferries and planes. It's pretty cheap to travel around. And I had just taken a, a shine to Estonia. I don't know what it is, um, especially 15 years ago, I think, when I first arrived. It still felt... A little bit wild west i was still that kid from the west looking for an adventure in far off lands and i know that does tie into what some of my recent videos have been about talking about the the ussr and it was it was sort of like it was enough of an adventure but not too crazy i wasn't going to go over the border and try and live in russia all respect could possibly happen but it was a little bit too much for me but i kind of went ah this estonia place it's nice it's small though one the whole country is 1.3 million people that's a country i think i could look down my street and there's (laughs) there's about that many people there is no president of the next three blocks in new york city but estonia has a president for that level of people Jeez, that's crazy. It's interesting. It makes it, life is interesting here, and uh, I, I like it that way. It's cool, man. You know, I have, I, I love comedy, and I have such a, a fear and a respect for for people that do that because, like. You know, I'm a nerd, right? So I get up and do these talks at expos, and there's been a couple of times where I fumbled my words, I got too excited, <clears throat> I ran up on stage and get out of breath. And I'm fat, you know, it happens, and like where I just I I would stop and be like, "All right, everybody, sorry, I'm having having a moment here. Sharp today, everybody. You can all make fun of me later. Let me take a deep breath and start over." And like everybody's cool with it because I'm not, you know, they're there to just talk tech they're, or to listen to tech talk. They're not there to, you know, to be entertained. So it's easy to make a mistake doing that. And with a band, as long as you're with a good band, you know, if you make a mistake, like as long as you're with the good band and you don't lose your shit and freak out, you could pick up right where you left off. And most of the time, only the other musicians in the crowd will even notice. So there's so much less of a fear in those scenarios. But when you're a comedian, like, the whole room is staring at you and if you don't make them laugh if you get nervous if you get a little weird if you start talking fast because you're you know you're freaking out you have lost the room and you're probably not getting them back like that is you know the guts to do something like that i have so much respect for anybody that does that 
I think I hear where you're coming from, but even your little description of uh, you were saying when you give a talk and they, they're good talks. I watched a, a bunch of them. You're very comfortable in that environment. And I, I might think that if you, if you were able to be that comfortable just walking up to a stand-up stage, people wouldn't notice. I think that the it's almost like the time-space-warp reality that we live in on the stage is different to the time-space-reality that the audience live in. When I'm on the stage and I have – I mean, I talk fast. I have one second of silence. I'm like, oh, my God, one second. Oh, oh they're going to hate me. I've dropped the ball. Everything's terrible. Time to, <laughs> to do it. And – but if you if you switch that around and and I, I, sometimes you just sit in the audience and watch comedy, you're like, hey, that comedian hasn't said anything for five seconds, it's ten seconds. Well, that's cool. Actually, it's good. I if they have the confidence, then I believe this is all part of the plan. So it's somehow about that comfortable level. But I appreciate. Okay, I get it. To to walk on the stand up stages can be a bit tricky at first, but I, I think you do pretty good as well. At, at at talking, uh, Bob, you got a little bit of experience talking. Just a little. Yeah, bit. thanks. <laughs> I get. You know, I've seen um, I've seen plenty of uh, open mic nights, and in fact, there was one when I lived in Stanford, uh, Stanford, Connecticut, cool little city. But there was one bar that sprung it on people, and I hated the owner for doing that because, like, it sucks well, for everybody. I was there. I had a friend I hadn't seen in two years, a really good friend. You know, we got the old crew back together. We walk in, and it says "small little sign, open mic night tonight," and I'm like. If I do what I came here to do, catch up with an old friend, I'm a piece of shit that's talking over the comedian. And by the way, nobody if you didn't happen to notice the little sign, everybody else here is in the same boat. So these poor comedians get up and next thing you know there's loudspeakers blaring in your ears and you know and it's just nobody wanted to be there. The comedians, the people there, the bartenders, the promoter was trying their best, but it's just like you should have put a big sign in front, you know, then it's one of those things where <laughs> I totally would have wanted to go. And we were polite. We kept our mouth shut. We stayed for a couple of acts and some were, one was awesome. One, one, uh, one comedian had just these weird one liner jokes kind of, I don't want to say Mitch Hedberg style cause it absolutely wasn't, but that like one, one joke at a time that are each separate and some were so funny. Yeah. We were crying and then they'd have like three in a row where there'd just be dead silence in the room. And it's just, like it's enjoyable and awkward and I don't know I it's it still gives me a, it, it gives me a fear even though I've never tried to do comedy like I'm getting nervous thinking about what it would have been like to be that person to nail two <laughs> jokes in a row command the whole room and then have you could hear a pin drop like if somebody in that room farted it would have echoed like an earthquake <laughs> for like a good solid minute so Yep, you've got to you've got to remember. Oh yeah, I did two good punchlines. It's okay. See this through. Why did that not work? Is that part of the thing? But what the, exactly what you talked about is all part of running a good show. That we need the whole space. There can't just be someone serving drinks off to the side. And uh, I think you've got this thing in the U.S. like called the check drop, which is if you're watching a comedy show and there's table service at the end, they come around and you have to pay the check. And that's happening while the show's going on. And that's a normal part of, as I understand, doing comedy in comedy clubs in America. And comedians actually design that or, or plan that part into their act that, OK, they're going to do an hour. And at the 50th minute, all of a sudden, waitresses are going to be walking around. No one's looking at them. They're paying the bill. And then you get through that. And then you've got to do a closer. So it's all, all, all a day in the life of a comedian. Yeah, that's brutal. <laughs> That's absolutely brutal. I've seen so many good shows. I've seen 
Uh, Doug Stanhope's one of my favorites, and I saw him on a night oh, in New York yeah. where he just barely kept it together, but it was so real. It might be the best comedy show I've ever been to because seeing somebody that's such mm-hmm. a pro like that have a day where he just gets in his own head and he's amazing and then he starts to falter and then somebody gets mouthy and he just completely tears apart people in the crowd and it's just it was it was really great it was one of those rare moments where you're just like this is something special like you might not ever get a chance to see something quite like this ever again it's not it's comedy is not for everybody i certainly wouldn't recommend going out and downloading all this stuff unless you're into weird humor but uh but yeah that I actually saw him twice like that. I don't know if you follow his stuff, but when his um, when his friend died, the Cliffhanger podcast, I was at that next show in New York, and he came on and he's like, I was telling my friend like, oh yeah, you know, there was the thing. His friend's in the hospital. I wonder if he's going to be any good. He's probably thinking about that. And he walks right out and he's like, we've been drinking since breakfast because my friend went into the hospital and ended up dying, and then her boyfriend ate a bullet right afterwards. And I was, the whole crowd was like, and it was one of the most real. Like it was, uh, I don't know. It was out of this world. I just get like chills talking about it because it's one of these <laughs> weird moments where like I can't believe I was there at that one after that happened, and he still killed it. Absolutely. I'll give you the other side of that, Bob. Is I, I had a a little while ago, I had a similar experience. One of the comedians that we we look after here in Estonia had a a death in the family. And there was the the funeral that day and just we had a show that night and just at the last moment, just like the show was ending, people were standing up. We we're like, no, no, he's here. Wait, we've got our comedian. Everyone sat down, the guy. And I saw he came basically from the wake and, you know, he's got the suit on, but he's they, they he in Estonia. When you have a funeral, vodka is being drunk by the bottle <laughs> and not. And not only that, so you got that experience, Bob, as an audience member. You know, you felt like, wow, this is genuine. This guy is talking about something real. So not only does the comedian see that, but I saw that from the comedian side. The com- all the comedian wants to do is stand on stage and talk about it. That's the, that's the therapy for stand-up comedians. So it was so interesting to see both sides. Both sides got a unique experience that day. And I reckon it was just as relieving for Doug Stanhope as it was for you that night. There's something about being live. And I think that's the somewhat the difference to the, the content creation like you do, that everything is recorded. We can say whatever crazy crap we want to say on the stage because hopefully it's not being recorded. And that gives some feeling of freedom that this won't be hung over my head years later. But And I appreciate it's much harder when we're doing this video format, even a stream, which is uh, archived for later. You, It's hard to let go. It's hard to show that genuine side. And that's a little bit why I wanted to ask you those questions about how you're doing and how you are, because it, it could be so hard to bring out that genuine side as a content creator uh, when you're always conscious, like, this is never leaving YouTube. <laughs> yeah, I mean, even the ending of uh, the podcast that aired this morning, I think I did like five takes of that because each time I was just like expressing my concern about stuff and I'd play it back and go, wow, I sound like a whiny, ungrateful <laughs> piece of shit right now. No, I've, there's no way I could put that at the end. A lot of people will get what I mean, but most won't. Most will, you know, so I, I always try to be really conscious of that. And especially mm-hmm. even with other videos, like I'm doing a, a review of an upcoming Retro Tink product. I normally wouldn't <laughs> talk about it, but Mike's posted all over Twitter, so it's not a secret yeah. that it's coming out. And there's one whole section where I was just 
ranting about lag and all of the misinformation and the YouTubers that stole my footage and then said the wrong thing over what I said to make it look like I said something else and the certain players of a certain game who send me five-page emails explaining how I'm doing lag wrong. And it goes both sides. I get emails from this one group saying anything under 100 milliseconds of lag is indetectable, which is so wrong. And uh, four milliseconds of lag shouldn't be considered zero because that's really important and you could definitely affect your game. No, you can't. A quarter um, of a frame? No. Yeah, no. No, I mean, with tool-assisted speedruns, with light guns, sure, but not human interaction. And it's mm -hmm. like I had to go back and redo the entire thing because I'm like, this isn't about the new product anymore. It's about me telling everybody how much I hate them when they tell me I get shit wrong when I know I got it right because I even showed my work how I came to that conclusion. So it's like, no, I got to make sure I'm in a good mood for this. I got to rewrite that part. I got to rerecord it. I don't want to... So yeah, when when things when you know things are there forever, you you tend to to backstep a lot. I always mm -hmm. say like no offense, you know, excuse my opinion because I would much rather have people get annoyed with me for being apologetic than interpret what I said wrong and and think that I intended to insult them when in almost every case that's that's not at all my intention. Sometimes I am only human and some people are pieces of shit, but you know, <laughs> that's just kind of life, so it's true. And that is, I mean, I, I know we spoke about this when in the last podcast a couple of years ago. I think that's what you do so well. And it is part of the secret to the retro RGB success is that you do take that time. And uh, for every frustrated moment that you're, you're describing here, there's so, there's a million other examples when you actually take those extra sentences. This is my opinion. This is what we're saying. This is what I believe or using those uh, sort of careful use of language and it's something you do really well. Um, one of the videos I made recently about converting S video to RGB and I knew I was wading into just a wall of pain. Just, I knew I was, it, I knew I was getting into holy territory um, talking about converting video signals and things like that. And I, I, there was sort of a few people that wanted to, I had uh, some output issues. I believe the converted device has some errors and people just wanted to tell me, no, it's S-Video. S-Video is shit. S-Video is terrible. It couldn't possibly be this. And I even, like, days later got another PVM, plugged it in, and proved to myself, no, I'm not crazy. Look, yeah. this is fine. But then the question becomes, do I photograph this and then write four days later to this person, like, guess what? It isn't. Like, oh, you got to let it go, but... Jeez, you know, it's, it's funny because uh, you're kind of making a joke about that, but that is something that I think anybody who does educational-esque content struggles with because mm -hmm. you don't really know who that person is. And there's one YouTuber that, you know, I, I'm sorry to say this, but just uh, every bottom feeder you've ever met in any industry in your life takes the opposite opinion of things just because if he takes the opposite opinion, then people will, you know, will pay attention. And he said that one of the videos that I made was wrong and that, you know, the, the, this wasn't a production sample. This was a prototype. And like, this is somebody with way more followers than me. So I made a giant point to prove that I was not slandering a company. I knew what I was talking about. I did the diligence, the due diligence to make sure I wasn't accidentally slandering a company. And I did a whole post on it and everything else. And there's a, another time where somebody who I, I just thought was a, a rude commenter challenged me on lag, and I didn't realize they had a huge following. And now there's all these videos proving that I'm lying about lag. And it's like, I really should have taken the time to shut that down first 
because you know it's it's one of these things where if you're the third person in right so complete and, and once again this is language that's going to offend people but it's the truth if a complete and total moron says something to a somewhat moron that's pretty gullible most people would see that interaction and not take it seriously but if that person tells a, a good person with a head on their shoulders the same thing what you know why would they not believe them yeah you know person's a little nuts but whatever good you know good person i I like talking to them they seem to get other things right why would you not take that as fact like that's there's no reason not to and that's how all this misinformation spreads like wildfire across the internet and i'm just i'm lucky that we're talking about things like like lag and you know and hardware you know as video versus composite versus rgb and i'm definitely lucky that i'm not in an industry where that ends up in you know violence if you disagree with somebody because of misinformation so have you found uh one struggle that i've had so um i i i didn't mention it up until now pardon me i've started a small channel myself uh just documenting some of the items that i have in my collection nothing big or crazy i just admired content creators and thought i want to try this as well and uh first of all let me tell you or everyone listening it's so much harder than it seems you look at a video you're like ah the title and the i could do the voiceover i got a mic sure a little iMovie i'll make it happen two days later you're pulling your hair out you're like this is nothing like i imagined yeah Um, so i wanted to to make such a video and i think what i was struggling with is learning how to condense down that information because that voice is in the back of the mind going someone's going to nitpick this you didn't talk about that individual detail or i didn't preface it enough someone's gonna oh god and then all of a sudden i've got a 15 minute video about something that should be six minutes and it's a very hard balance to strike how much detail should actually be and you also have to play the YouTube algorithm because the way I structure my <clears throat> these days through trial and error, I, I think that what I it works well for my content is skip to the end immediately. You know, and in the videos and in the posts, mm. like here's what I'm about to talk about, and in the post, the link is right underneath, and then you know, here's some more information about this, and if you care to learn the rest of it here's another 20 minutes of the technical details that some people truly appreciate. And I mean, this is a positive. Most people couldn't care about. They're just like, all right, you taught me how to get where I need to be. I don't really need that other stuff yet. I'll come back to it later if I want to learn the advanced features. And I feel like for what I do, that's the right fit, but that is the wrong fit to get promoted in the YouTube algorithm because you have a 20 minute video that most people drop off after six minutes. So that's why I always try to make the point I am not a YouTuber. I run RetroRGB, and YouTube is a tool that I use. And I Mm. could switch everything over to be a YouTuber, but that's not the content I want to make. And also, if YouTube changes the rules again, now your income is immediately cut. So it's... You know, it's it's a double double edged sword for me. So this is the the tough part of being a content creator is that uh, the algorithm is like a god. Mm. Like we we it's like a modern day god. We we know it's there. We you know, let, let's just, anyway not to offend religious people. Pardon me, I don't mean to be but anyway, you kind of you're pretty sure it's there. Uh, it seems to affect what you do every day. We make offerings to the god as well so if you're on instagram you've got to be doing a post every day or something offer please god like me in the algorithm and uh it seems a weird religion to follow and i wish i when i'm advising artists i advise them to look out the thing if the thing you want to do is controlled primarily by algorithm 
you're going to have a tough time. It's not impossible, but it's tough because there's that huge element that you just can't control in the middle. And at least if you understand what you're getting yourself in for, is there platforms that you could put it on that are less algorithmic? Some are more algorithmic than others, potentially. But then it's just like, I just want to make videos and talk about games and, and consoles. I don't want to be a social media expert at the same time. And it's a tough balance to find. Yeah, that's why I, I was um, I was shocked when I, I two different places from people that don't interact with each other both sent me one of your videos on the same day, and I think oh. you only have four videos at this point, and at the time I think yeah. you only had three, and two different videos, and I'm like, first of all, it, it came in and it was like, hey, this is a really cool video about Russian Master System, which we'll definitely dig into this stuff in a minute, by the way, but like. The video came in. And I was like, "Holy shit, that's Lewis!" Like, like, hey, dude. Like, that's why, that's why I emailed you. And then another friend was like, "Hey, have you seen this S video to RGB converter? Uh, maybe we could track one down, possibly reverse engineer it, and make like an RGB version of the Coreu." And I'm like, "Track one down? I know Lewis. <laughs> like, we could we could just take some <laughs> pictures of it. Like, maybe he could send it to somebody. And we could figure something out." So I just yeah. I was so I, first of all I was really happy for you. I never get um. I never get jealous when when people who work hard get promoted. I always get very excited for them. So I was like, "Holy crap! You're just starting a new channel, and you you just happen to have landed in a few places where people started, you know, the right videos at the right place at the right time where people were sharing them. Uh, and it was just it was very funny and surprising and cool to see. Like I know that guy. <laughs> <laughs> and the, and and from my perspective, from the other side, I'm making some videos. I'm not trying to like. The, the name of the channel, Zez Retro, it's a terrible name. <laughs> the, the artwork, terrible. But I was trying to not focus on all that other stuff. I just want to make a video. And my friend, my, my good buddy here who's, who's in the retro games with me, Vlad, he was, he was telling me, Lewis, come on, you know Bob. Tell Bob about your video. And I'm like, no, no, I don't want to hassle Bob. You know, he's, I don't want to ask for favors. Maybe I'll get a few more videos in the thing yet before I start. You know, I don't want to be that promotional whore kind of thing, asking everyone to share my content. So anyway, lo lovely. Thank you for <laughs> well, I mean, for seeing my, that. Um, you know? My perspective on this is, is very selfish and self-centered. What a shock. But it's if I like the content and I think it's a fit for the site, then I want to promote it. And that's, you know, that's obviously not a science behind it but like like Genovi's last video I really enjoyed it I just didn't think it was yeah. a fit for the site and it's not an insult I don't think you should do different videos it's just my opinion because I got to kind of curate what comes through so a lot of people do reach out like hey I'm starting a channel can you help here's my first video and it's like I like the video but it's you know it, it's not really what we do or the opposite like hey it's great for a first video but that's a first video you don't want me to put this in front of people and tell them that that's what you are because you're way better than that. You just need some practice. But that wasn't the case. I mean, you're, it was obviously an earlier video. You put the lights behind you, not in front of you. I was laughing so hard. I was like, man. I was like, oh, this is cool. But no, yeah, okay, I get it. I get it. I'm terrible. I'm terrible at lighting. I got one of these ring lights now. This is all I can kind of do. Um, it's growing yeah, I think that we I, all I, go through. I think with any content creator, whether you're making podcasts or videos or whatever it is, I think you should make – five to 10 of your thing first, depending on how long they are, make five to 10 of your thing and then go and put it out. Don't do it on the first video because what I think in, in anything creative, it's about the consistency. Not just I could make one video, but can you keep that up at some sort of regular schedule, keep the passion 
that's where I think, it, and again, the, the dedication of people like yourself to just constantly do it all the time within reason, as we were just discussing with health, of course. <laughs> so that's why I'm a bit like, yeah, you've got, a, you've got an idea. That's fantastic. Come back when you got five of them and then we'll talk. And then I'm very happy to help you as much as I possibly can. Um, learn what five takes and we'll go from there. So yeah, yeah it's been fun. Uh, fun making these videos. So the, the first one that I saw was you found a Russian version of the Sega master system. Um, and I, I don't want to spoil the whole video. Please go watch it. I did enjoy it. Be kind. It is, you know, one of his first videos, but it's still <laughs> the content's good. The information's good. Like it, there's nothing wrong with it. It's just, I'm sure a year from now, they're going to look totally different than that. But, um, I, I was really interested in that because I've always been fascinated about different console revisions in different regions. Steek is really good at that. He always talks about the things that he found just in Portugal that you wouldn't find really anywhere else. So to see like a stripped down, I don't want to say cheaper master system because of what you explained in the video, but to see a weird stripped down PAL, no, it was a CCAM version of it. It's CCAM. Yeah. yeah. That was interesting. So it's, um, so to, I, I, mean, I, I don't mind explaining it here as well. Uh, just as long as the, the info is getting out there. So I came across this unit a couple of years ago. I ordered it from a, a seller in Latvia. It's a country just below Estonia. I kind of knew the guy and I ordered it and I got it. And I was like, there's a problem. It's a master system one. And I, I was like, this looks weird. What's wrong with it? And there's no card slot. So the card slot's gone. And on the back, there's only RF. And I'm like, wait, I bought this so I could do RGB. Well, I, got, I got ripped off. This is a, and I started to look into it. And it turns out that in 1990, Sega actually made these to be sold in the Soviet Union. So the Soviet Union as a political country, entity, communism, hurrah, whatever, that ended in August 91. That's when the whole regime ended. And then it's, now it's called Russia from then on. But before that, it was the communist Soviet Union and uh, Sega had got in there and were trying to sell Master System 1 consoles in the communist Soviet Union. And at that stage, not many companies were actually selling in the Soviet Union. Very famously, McDonald's opened a store in January of 1990. Pizza Hut opened a store, but uh, only a few companies. And for some reason, I mean... Every video I've ever watched sounds like Sega of Europe. It was crazy days. They were just shifting master systems, shifting Genesis like hotcakes. And they, the, you might say, well, that's crazy. Well, the Soviet Union has 300, had 300 million people, most of whom who'd never known what a Sega is or let alone what a can of Coke is, really. Yeah, because all um, throughout you know, the 80s, it was all locked down, right? So they only got tech that was Russian-made. Uh, I believe there was a few clone consoles that were that were made by russian companies a friend of mine is from um albania and he said when he was growing up there was something called the terminator that was basically just a clone famicom console or something like that and so that it, it's totally plausible that they would have never seen or even heard of sega at all let alone the master system right so the clone consoles that everybody talks about from russia or in eastern europe and all this stuff they're typically they kind of go by the name dendy which is what might, some people might know them as. Uh, Steepler is the company that actually produced them. They didn't start doing that until 1992. So that's a good 18 months after the end or whatever, the end of the Soviet Union. So Sega's effort is even before that, even before this. And, and then Russia, in when the Soviet Union fell, Russia was extremely poor, very uh, a real Wild West lawless kind of time. 
And so there was no, and people didn't have money, so they didn't have money for full price consoles. And then that's when Steepler and Dendy took over. And now everybody I know has one of those Dendy uh, consoles in the top of their cupboard. Mm -hmm. Uh, It's really, really typical. But it's so interesting that this Sega thing even predates that. They had a crack and it would have cost them a lot of money. And I suspect this is something that's been kind of, I don't know, the story not told because the 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 way that it worked was that the Soviet Union, first of all, they don't have RGB on their televisions in the Soviet Union. They're lucky. I mean, they've got RF mm-hmm. and that's it. This is 1990 in the Soviet Union. All you've got is RF. So Sega want to sell a console. And not only that, it's RF, it's CCAM is the standard used in uh, the Soviet Union and also in, in France, where it's where we usually associate CCAM. So for people listening, you've got your PAL, which is one way of encoding color, uh, encoding it on RF, on composite and on S-video. Uh, you've got your NTSC, which is another way of doing it. And there's a third way, CCAM, which France and it turned out the Soviet Union used. So meaning that if Sega wanted to sell a console in the Soviet Union, it had to output CCAM over RF. That's just what it had to be. And they couldn't do the same solution as France because in France, uh, RGB SCART was like a national, the government mandated it or something like this. So they said, fine, we'll just put a SCART cable in. There's some more details of that, but you can't do that. They had to, for the Soviet Union, they had to create a whole new PCB variant. Like it's a whole variant. uh, And it's weird because it's at that time, the Master System 2 had been released in the US. In Europe, they're still selling Master System 1s. But at the same time, they decide to develop this Master System 1 that has no card slot, only RF but is a Master System 1, it's not a Master System 2. It's really strange why they didn't just take a Master System 2 from America, which would have done the same job. Uh, so I'm, a very what Sega I'm trying to do to is... Do. Let's take the right, hardest crazy. possible path for the solution. <clears throat> and, and this is something, Bob, I wanted your input on, because um, if we look back at the, the French... Uh, Sega Master System 1 and 2 and then Genesis, what they did is they just used a PAL system and they ripped out the encoder chip and they ripped out, so they didn't have to change the PCB, mm-hmm. which tells me Sega's thinking like, oh, uh, it's expensive to create a new PCB variant. It'll be easier if we can just rip out some of the components and then include a RGB cable with the extra stuff in there. But for the Soviet Union, they created a whole new PCB variant and then their whole business went to shit and they probably only sold like 5,000 of them. Do you happen, I mean, what are we to, know, looking at do you back happen then? to know where it was manufactured? No. Because it could have been a we scenario in which they cut a deal with a Russian manufacturer and said, well, we're not going to send them our, our PCB design for the master system. So let's let's redesign it stripped down without any <coughs> any extra features. Maybe we'll send them the custom Sega chips uh, and then have them manufacture everything there. This is wild speculation. I have no clue what I'm talking about here. I just, you know, it could have been something like that because 
Um, you know, I definitely ran into that a lot, both with working in retro gaming and in previous companies where we were doing manufacturing, where sometimes there are specific reasons for, for doing stuff like that that don't really <coughs> make sense on the outside, but make sense on the inside. So um, mm. that's definitely a, a thing. Um, the other thing I was wondering, too, is you, were you able to post pictures of this on SMS Power? Because there's a great group of people there that um, that really love archiving these different revisions and stuff. I've been talking to those guys over there and I uh, I found out they, they gave me the information and I am going to be uploading that really soon. I do cool. recognize that's the place and it's not in those list of variants. But coming back to your experience, because I don't have any experience creating a, a PCB, mm-hmm. but what I did notice is, um, and I can show you the pictures later, that at the time, like this board, this Sega Master System board, it seems like much newer than 1990. It's got surface mount resistors and it's got a much tighter, more compact circuit board that if you look at even the the Mega Drive, it doesn't have that same. It was still using through hole yeah. where there's no through hole here. What's I mean, well, there was some generational shift around that time from through hole PCB manufacture to this surface mount style. Again, I'm being really no, no, sorry. No, I mean, that, that, I'm using very untechnical terms there. That's a perfect there. description of it. You nailed the description, and it for, and just in my experience in making products and stuff like that, the only answer would be that there had like it could it would most likely be cost or another mm-hmm. another likely answer would have been. They were all sitting around a boardroom going, well, we need to test out this new contract manufacturer, but we've never used them before. Well, we're only going to make a thousand for Russia, so let's just Mm. send it to them and hope for the best. Um, I mean, that's not polite, but it is just kind of what happens sometimes where it's like, well, if we're going to risk our market, let's risk a market that we're not even in yet and we haven't invested in. So it could have just been they needed an excuse to try a new manufacturer. We did that before, and man... I had to get on a plane one time, go up and, and, and basically just walk into a, a manufacturing facility in upstate New York and be like, we're pulling everything out today. You guys are all a bunch of assholes. That, that sucked. I don't like being the bad guy. I like being the jolly fat guy. I like Santa Claus with a beer. Like, But yeah, the, I've definitely been in the situations before where you're like, all right, let's give these crew a chance. You know, Let's try it with a new customer. So if we destroy the relationship, it sucks, mm-hmm. but it's going to happen. So that could be part of it, but mostly it's probably cost. Like, hey, we could have these made at this new place. They're using surface mount. Let's test it out on the master system too. And if everything goes great, then we could save the cost on the Genesis 2 using the same methods or something. So That's true. I would like, if someone's listening to this and I would love to get a contact for someone who was involved, I think, I mean, I believe it was from Sega of Europe at the time in 1990. I've got a few names, but it's so many years later that it's hard to to track all of these people down. I would love to to learn more. If someone from Sega of Europe was involved in this Soviet Union operation, I, I could talk to them for an hour about this um, and how that would have gone. Because I, from what I can work out, another part of the video is that I – I have friends here who are, are Russian speakers. They're, they're Russian people. They could look up stuff for me, find that information, and tell me also, but not like they know about Sega, but they could tell me what it would have been like to buy one of these things in the Soviet mm. Union. And 
the different what I'm, from what I'm told, you couldn't just buy one on the street. You had to be pretty well off to get one. And then even then in 1990, you had to be a high ranking Communist Party official to even walk into the store where you could possibly buy this unit. So which is also speaking to uh, why there were so few produced at the same time. Yeah. You know, I was just looking up before um, if you want to see a documentary that I thought was absolutely hilarious, but also touches a lot on what russia was like in that time period it's called operation odessa it's on netflix and uh i laughed so hard through most of that though with the boats with the speed boats that one right? uh yeah i don't want to spoil it for people but um <laughs> it's weird it, it connects miami colombia cuba mm. and russia and in the 90s when anything went and it was I was, it was just awesome. I, I really enjoyed the heck out of that one. So, but it gives you so good. a good view into what it would be like to try to do anything in Russia at that point in time when they were still coming back. But if I had to guess, there's one story from yeah. Sorry, go no, ahead. go go. You, you go ahead. I was going to say one story. I don't. It's not spoiling it, but one story they've got from Operation Odessa is they they were going to do business in Russia and they needed to get. I don't know, a couple of hundred, no, even like a hundred kilometers away. They go down to the airport. They're like, can we rent a helicopter? And they're like, no, you can't rent a helicopter, but you can buy one. Yeah. And they're like, we've got 190 former Soviet Union military aircraft. You want one? Go and buy it. And that's literally what, ha- it's insanity. Yeah. Yeah, Sorry, I cut you off. No, and you know what? Honestly, this has been, um, I have to say this every time I do one of these, but, you know, we are on different sides of the planet here, so there's going to be latency. We're going to step on each other at some point, but this has been the lowest latency conversation I've had in a long time. So th- this is cool. We-, we hit the internet at the right day. Uh, <laughs> there's not much delay going on here, but yeah, my apologies. Um, but it, yeah, it's just my my guess would be if I had to if I had to put some money out. Why did mm. they use the Master System 1 shell instead of the Master System 2? Mm. Why is it a brand new motherboard stripped down with surface mount components? My guess would be that they had it made in Russia. And they mm. said, okay, so even if they steal this whole thing and make it themselves, they've stolen an out-of-date body. They've, you know, they've stolen chips on a console that were phasing out everywhere, you know, moving to the Genesis. So let's mm. take our risk and see what happens and let's design something for them. And, you know, that's that's not a, a Russian dig. That's just whenever you're doing business with anybody new in any country. So it's but that would be my guess is they were just like, let's give this a try and let's do it as safe as possible and see what happens. That makes sense. There's also a uh, there's another weird story, because the first Western company to set up shop in the Soviet Union was actually Pepsi. Pepsi had been selling Pepsi since 1972. By the mid-80s, there was like a billion bottles of Pepsi being sold in the Soviet Union. And uh, it's a very weird communist, uh, yeah. capitalist kind of thing coming together. But uh, reading that story, the Pepsi guy said they never, ever gave the Pepsi recipe to the Soviets. They always handed them the syrup and said, yeah, you put some some good Russian bubble water in there, but we ain't telling you what's in this syrup. No way. <laughs> yeah. It, you know, culture always fascinates me. And it's it's weird because these days you're not even allowed to ask just asking about culture could offend people, which is so freaking sad because I always loved different cultures and different stories. And I never approached it with like a looking down on just genuine curiosity. And one of the, 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 it was a Romanian propaganda film called Comrade Detective. And of all people, Channing Tatum was one of the people that redubbed it and did a great job. But huh. uh, it's on Amazon, and it's a, a multi-part series, I think. And it was it was a decent story, <laughs> but also a look 
as to what a like a government backed detective show would have been like in that time period and there's like you know i hate spoilers but there's one scene where like the parents catch the kids with a pair of jordash jeans and it was like it, their reaction was as if they walked in the room and they had just like cut their arms off or something like <gasps> how dare you bring that evil in it oh man it's it's just so fascinating to me to see you know different different perspectives on things growing up uh, it's great, man. Yeah, I've, I, I really enjoyed this, uh, making this video, finding this thing, and I'm, I'm still hoping to find more information, still hoping to dig through and and find this story. I, I suspect, because if you kind of go down the timeline, Sega released this around, I want to say, end of 1990, so maybe September, October 1990. One, 12 months later, the Soviet Union collapses and everything is a dumpster fire. And I, I suspect what's happened is they've gone, oh, we must get into this market. And then the whole thing's collapsed and they've gone, we're out, we're done. And uh, I don't think they came back until, it took them about two or three more years till they came back with the Mega Drive uh, a little bit later. So uh, there was certainly a lot of risk and reward in working in the Soviet <laughs> Union. Yeah, definitely a great story. Um, the other video that uh, that... <laughs> caught my eye that I was going to ask you about regardless of if we did this podcast or not was you found uh, a Sony converter that converted S-Video to RGB not composite video at all right just mm -hmm. S-Video um, correct so it's only S-Video in and it outputs RGB that's right and it doesn't output RGBS it outputs RGB with sync on green right that's the one of this that I didn't quite get that so I guess I'll back up for a moment and describe. It's not, it's nothing particularly mm -hmm. rare. It was Japan only for the NTSC model. Uh, from what I'm reading, loads of people seem to have one of these people telling me all the time now they've got one. Um, and it was a, a box produced about 1987 or so. And you input S-Video and it outputs RGB or some version of RGB. And, but it doesn't increase the quality and it doesn't enhance it right. or something like that. It just transcodes whatever was on the S-Video into RGB. Um, and that was at the time you had your Betamax players that only did S-Video at a, a very maximum. But if you were using a professional monitor that only had RGB, that would be your use case for why you might have bought this box. Yeah, it makes total sense. And uh, in the context of modern retro gaming, if you will, there's a lot of people with um, with classic computers that either only natively output S-Video or the only easy video mod is S-Video. I have a TRS-80 color computer too that's mm. RF only, but it's a fairly simple S-Video mod and everything else is much more complicated. So to be able to have that run through, you know, you have four or five of these run through an S-Video switch into this converter, into your GSCART switch, now you have a fully automated setup that you don't have to worry about switching inputs or what if you have a BVM that doesn't have an S-Video input card? Because I think that was a lot of uh, the things with the, the Core U transcoder as well, the composite into S-Video to component, was a lot of people at first were kind of like, I think half the people that saw it were like, that's exactly what I need. And the other half were like, you know, why would you use this? But if you already have a fully automated setup like that, or even a BVM without an input card mm. that handles it, you could get this for much cheaper than a brand new input card. And you don't have to worry about, oh, are the capacitors going to go on this? Am I going to wake up one day and S-Video and composite doesn't work? And so there, there's certainly an advantage to doing all of that. Uh, so we definitely wanted to try to track down the, uh, if you wouldn't mind sending pictures, track down the chips that were used in that. And there's two things I definitely wanted to determine. Um, 
is that S video to RGB chip? Is that S video in RGBS out? And then somewhere else on that board, they converted it to sync on green, or does that chip natively do that? Um, then is that chip something that you could get used? I mean, you could see, you'll probably find them new old stock, but they're not new. They're, you know, they're cleaned off and rebranded. I think mm. most of us fellow nerds have seen those videos on YouTube showing how they do that. Uh, and then if they're not available, is that something that's easily reverse engineered? You know, could, could you send that to somebody like Furtech who could re, uh, decap the top of it, um, see what's going on inside and then build from scratch a circuit to do that? Because while the core U is great, um, it's, it's component video. And while it's the same quality, that's not the same signal. So if you have a hundred percent RGB setup and a bunch of S video consoles, you would then need to go into a core U into a retro tink transcoder to RGB mm. it completely. It's an, it's an extra device that you don't need. And with analog video, everything that you put in the chain could cause a problem. So. Definitely. Well, first of all, though, what I'm seeing on this box is the output. It has color bleeding evident on red and a bit on blue. And uh, without going into a further investigation, I would imagine that's the capacitors after 30 something years leaking that out because I know S video doesn't do this. This is not right. an S video artifact. This is definitely color bleeding as part of this conversion process. There is a one main chip inside of it. I tried to Google, couldn't really find anything about it. Um, I suspect it's not actually, you know what? I don't really know. I have to admit, I don't quite know. Is it all happening on that chip? Um, but when you, you said that to me, you were, you were asking about reverse engineering and what could we do here, but wouldn't again, props to our man, Mike Chi, Mike Chi already is making a device that has an S video input. It can't be like the technology is almost there. Wouldn't it be? We got to not saying Mike needs to do this, but it's not a hidden right. technology. Is it, you know, to do so there. Hmm. There's actually two very good answers to that because I thought the same thing. Mm. Like, because I talk to Mike all the time, and it's like, dude, if you did that, why can't you just do this instead or something? And uh, the chips that are available brand new today are very limited for analog video because no one really uses it anymore. Um, one brand is incredibly expensive. There's a knockoff brand that's cheap, but you can't get any documentation unless you buy a hundred thousand of them. They just won't respond at all huh. uh you could you, you could send emails and call in their native language they just they ignore you if, if it's not a giant amount you don't matter to them which fair enough i guess you know if you say hey i want to buy two thousand of these they're like try two hundred thousand and come back <laughs> or something uh and those chips are are limited to what's the most common use case and going to component is way more common these days than going to RGB outside of the retro gaming world. So it, it that is kind of it. And being able to reverse engineer something that's in a chip, because remember, like you put something on a chip that's a mini circuit mm. in a package. Um, if that's something that could be done in a box that's this big, we don't care because you know we just we're going to add this to our setups. Whereas you know. And it's not cost effective. It's not something Sony would have ever done. But if we got to pay 75 bucks for a box for that, that's fine. That fits our setup perfectly. Might be cheaper than a lot of other options to do stuff. So that's why reverse engineering something like this and trying to figure out how it works and then make our own modern version of it might actually be the only answer if you specifically want to go from S-Video to RGB. Mm, that's it. Well, I, I mean, I could certainly uh, get get some more pictures of this. We can work on that together. From just, I found this myself when I was in Japan going through hard offs. It was just in the junk section. Uh, I had a quick browse of Japan Yahoo auctions. This box goes for ten bucks, twenty bucks. 
or something like that maximum. Um, it doesn't seem to be quite an in-demand thing. But getting back to what this box did with um, the sync. Yeah, so originally it had JP21 on the end. And what the box that I received as I got it secondhand, what the previous owner has done is chop off the JP21 end and put a, a breakout box that has the BNCs in it instead. We've got a red, green, and a blue BNC. But what they've included is a sync stripper, the LM1881. Yeah. Mm -hmm. yeah. Um, they've run sync through that. So, and I, I found some other obscure reference about that the unit actually outputs sync on green, but I was like, I was, I just couldn't get, why would you need, like, if you're having sync on green, why would you put the sync on green on the sync line? Maybe they didn't. So they've got a, maybe they didn't. Well, there seems to be an external extra wire for sync. Okay. And maybe the, if the. The JP21 spec says that you need whatever it is, pin 20, or at least on SCART, it's pin 20, needs to be that. But for some reason, this unit is only outputting a green with sync. So they've just pumped green with sync down the sync line. I could be also misinterpreting that. I don't want to say that I'm the expert on this box and nor have I analyzed everything. But the, the person who owned this before me saw fit to put a sync stripper between the sync and the clean C-Sync out. Um, and again, only hearsay that I've read that Sony really liked sync on green around this time. And I've also checked my, uh, I got a couple, I got a nine inch B yeah. Nine inch BVM here deals fine with sync on green as well. So don't know. It was a, do you know anything about Sony's love of sync on green? I don't know why they did things? that, but I do know that it would make perfect sense that that product was designed very specifically to use with one of their mm. projectors or one of their higher end uh, production monitors that accepted it. So because the box had a very specific use, it would only be S-Video in, sync on green, RGB out, even if it was in a JP21 connector. Um, so that that makes mm. sense because it, it, based on your video and the uh, the ads that you found for it, um, it seems like it was a dedicated device meant for one use, not like a here's a general converter from this to that. So, but yeah, I'll have a. And again, we're talking about eighty seven. Yeah. This is not two thousand and twenty one. This is nineteen eighty seven. Things were yeah, different. Yeah, so I'll have a I'll I'll get the exact model from you, and I'll see if um, maybe take some pictures, mm. and I'll see if one of my friends in Japan could grab me a couple of them and ship them over, and we could we could kind of do our thing with it and see. But it's just one of those things. There there's so many projects I'm involved with that are low priority because out of the entire world, there might only be a thousand people that, if I could even get them to realize it exists, would want it. But those people who do want it would go, holy crap, I need this so badly for my setup. So, you know, it's not um, it's not something I would I would direct my friends to spend all their time on. But it's important. You know, I have a whole other sync box thing we're working on and have been working on. And it just keeps falling over in priority because there's really a, a few small use cases for it. But when it eventually comes out, it's going to be one of those things where it's going to sell 500 the moment that I post the video on it and then probably sell one a week and that's it forever. So. <laughs> yeah, after I released that video, I had sort of the regular like, why would you do this? Why? Who cares? I was like, why not, bro? That's why we do retro games, isn't it? Isn't this why we're into this stuff to experiment and find some weird way that we can hook something up? Oh, that's interesting. And today I learned something about the way sync works or I actually made some real knowledge in my head. I, I think, why not, man? I do, like, all these things. I do try great. to keep an open mind to experiments like that. And I myself have some wacky ones, especially when I wake up in the middle of the night and I'm like, oh, 
is this a good idea or am I still half dreaming? <laughs> hey, Mike, what do you think about this? Or, hey, Greg, can you decide what are these? They're, everybody's so patient with me. Thank you, everybody, by the way, for not just blocking me and telling me to fuck off. But, you know, I do understand the weird use cases, but I've also seen some people do some absolutely insane shit that I can't for the life of me understand why anybody would ever do that. Put one processor through another processor into a converter into this just to get the same signal that they started with. Uh, you know, out of the yeah, I so, but no, the the video you made makes perfect sense to me. I some of the weirder ones, I I just unless they wanted to do it just to see if it could be done, which heck, I mean, it's, yeah. we're nerds, we're supposed to do that. So it's fun. We got to do something on the weekend. Got to yeah. Um, now I didn't catch your third video. Um, you want to just give a quick summary on that one? I kind of got sidetracked and wasn't able to. You just had another one that you recently released as well, right? Uh, actually, the, this is oh, the first one. I've only got sorry. three. Yeah, yeah, so the first far. one. No, 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 no. It's fine. The first one was a very light-hearted one. It was just talking about a a, a, a cable, a connector that they had in in Japan called D terminal. Mm. So just before uh, HDMI came out, it was like a weird time, as you, of course, know very well. It was a weird time before HDMI, and there was a lot of different plugs and a lot of different ways we could connect stuff up. And D-Terminal basically just takes component signal and just puts it on one plug. Like the same way SCART just takes RGBS and puts it on one plug. So if you've ever seen, a, if anyone's watching and they've seen a Japanese console or something, and it's got, it looks like VGA, but it's not VGA. Yeah. I think it's technically SCSI 14. The FrameMeister has uh, that. That's the... how the FrameMeister accepts component video. Uh... And GameCube component cables also came in D-Terminal versions. So people yes. that were converting those to VGA or RGB would buy the Japanese ones because they couldn't use the D-Terminal anyway and were able to just hack up the end of it and make their own cable for it. Yes, so there are connectors that you can get a breakout cable that goes from that and it'll break out the three uh, YPBPR for you. So, yeah, I was wondering, because I, I don't have a frame meister myself, and then it's one of those things, you, you spend all this time making a video and you're like, oh, the most obvious thing about it, I didn't say that it's in the frame meister. So it was just a video explaining that uh, in my trips to Japan, I've seen a bunch of them and I had to figure out what this was. And as you rightly say, one of the most common use cases for it is the GameCube component cable and the versions. If that's something you still want, uh, which is really legit as a collector, you can actually get it cheaper. The, the D-Terminal version from Japan is cheaper. But that this raises an interesting talking about this. GameCube component cable, Bob. I want your opinion on this because now we know the the Carby came out. Uh, we had Insurrection Industries do a fantastic product, and for a while, even uh, in the Insurrection Industries even had the actual like their component cable mm. version. And there was talk of like, well, this is going to blow open the market on the GameCube component cable, and it's not going to be worth anything. Guess what? It's still worth the official GameCube cable is still worth just as yep. much. And what's your opinion on like when there's an old cable, but then a new version comes out, but it doesn't seem to change the price of the old one? Well, much. collectors are a, a big part of this. And I say that with respect, not disdain or anything. It's <laughs> just um, if you want an official Nintendo solution, you want to know that I have collected this rare cable. It's still very important to people. Um, and that that's a lot of the case with a lot of retro stuff is, you know, I know a lot of people now that have not slowed down buying games, have not slowed down buying consoles, uh, paying to have them recapped and restored, but now they're switching to actually playing on the Mister because it's just easier overall. Um, and I love that. I, I love that people can can separate that. Like, I want my collection. I want to know that I have this thing that's important to me, uh, but instead of dropping a lot of money on a mod, maybe I'll just restore it 
but play it elsewhere. So I think that's a big part. I think for functionality too, um, it's still the easiest way to get just component video. Although the Prism and the Carby, um, if you just buy a cheap $20 uh, HDMI to component video converter, that'll work perfect in most cases. And you do have the advantage of you could run a longer HDMI cable and then a one foot component cable. And I've had some people tell me, I, I haven't tested this myself, but that they've actually gotten a better picture overall at their B, you know, Sony BVM monitor or, or VGA monitor or whatever mm. else. And I believe that's the case. It's because rather than using an extension cable and having 15 feet of analog video, they have a 15 foot HDMI cable and then right there, plug it directly into their component video source. Makes sense. Makes sense. I have to admit, even I have been, I still think about, I'm like, GameCube component cable. Yeah. And I think, what do I need? I know I've got the RGB cable. I've got plenty. It's like, no, I want that cable. I understand the need to collect. I, I do also get that as well. I was like, oh, 180 bucks for that thing though. But, oh, gee, I really want that cable. My girlfriend just looks at me like, another fucking cable? Why do you? I'm like, yeah, another cable. I need yeah. it. <laughs> yeah, you know, the, for me... <laughs> For me personally, I do think that the like the Prism's been my favorite lately because it's got the USB port on the side. So if uh, a manual update needs to be done, you don't have to mess around with programmers and stuff like that. But I think a, a really cool use case for GameCube is through a VGA monitor because the, the library is predominantly 480p native or could be forced at least in Swiss. And even for the ones that can't, you could have that deinterlacing uh, which, you know, it's not the greatest thing to have, you know, a flickery deinterlacing, but it's not very many games that can, can't can be forced into 480p. And I think that era of consoles, GameCube, Dreamcast, and PlayStation 2, especially when you could actually get it running in 480p, look phenomenal on VGA monitors. Mm -hmm. You know, you get... Because a lot of those graphics do translate well if you have a decent scaler to flat panels, especially the Dreamcast, but... There's just something about the look of those native 480p on a VGA monitor that it's like you don't need a BVM with those. You know, you could you can get as long as it's not yellowed and the tube is broken, you can get an old Dell monitor that you sit on the side of the road that, you know, the case might be yellowed, but the screen is still in good condition. And, and wow, it just it looks phenomenal. And there's no lag with that stuff at all. Like quite literally zero when you put it through. I had that one video where I, I plugged everything into everything else to show people what adds lag and what doesn't. And uh, yeah, it's just a really great solution. Whereas if you had the official component cables, you could do that. You can get a component to VGA converter, but the cost is a lot more and you're staying in the analog realm a lot longer than you need to. Mm. With the, um, I mean, speaking of that, I mean, I've got my BVM collection. I adore that. But most of these, most, uh, I, I have my, my 20 inch BVMs in my storage and I'm using a 20 inch consumer set right now. And I'm like, I'm really happy with it. I like it. And not only that, the consumer set, cause it's Europe, it's got a SCART input. And because I was doing all of this testing for the Soviet union, uh, console only has RF. I needed a consumer TV with RF and I'm, I'm down with the RF these days. I'm good with it. Like a good solid RF indistinguishable from composite. Yeah. And I'm having a good time gaming. I did feel the need to get all caught up in my, my video signals. Yeah, there. it's <clears throat> that's something I've been trying to, to really impress upon people is while I started RetroRGB to chase the best signal, um, I, I, I mistakenly gave across the wrong impression those first few years. The, the honest truth is any 
analog console on any CRT, with the only exception if you're in the middle of a city with a ton of wireless networks around you and RF doesn't look so good. But unless you're in the middle of Manhattan, in the middle of Boston, in the middle of London, you know, it's um, any CRT with any signal is going to be a great experience. And in some cases, you have the, you know, the artwork that the designers had composite in mind with their their blending techniques to get that so th- there really is no wrong choice when it comes to to analog on crts um, there's just sharper clearer better if you want to but you know it's just so much easier to have a really good classic gaming experience on a crt than it is on a flat panel you can still have a great experience but it's going to cost more and it's going to be a little more confusing <laughs> if you've never dipped your toe into the water Hey, there's these cables that are labeled for a Super Nintendo. Those should be great, right? That YouTuber has 100,000 followers, so he's got to be getting the right information. <laughs> oh, you know, it's really confusing. So It can be very tough as well. Like even working out the, 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 the PS1 cable isn't quite the PS2 cable as much as yeah. like I've got them and it works between, but it's not. There is a capacitor difference. And I mean, once you get down to that level, that's intense. Yeah, it's weird and it's confusing. <laughs> But respect, respect to all my homies out there who are doing that. Hey, I am guilty as charged of doing that as well, trying to eke out that last bit, fine-tune. I mean, that 20-inch BVM that I have, it's like I'm done. It's the most amazing thing that I've ever seen in my life. It is beautiful. Which model do you have but again? Jesus, you, it's a 20E1E or is the F? I think it's the E1E is the, the model. I think that's the one that's a thousand line tube in a 20 inch thing. So you have, you yeah. have the, the look and the density. I was about to say pixel density. There's no pixels in a CRT, but that's a good visualization of the density of a good 14 inch monitor, but in a 20 inch size. So I bet you a lot of times it almost feels like a flat panel depending on the scene and everything. Cause there's so much, detail you can't really see the mask of the crt at all it's it's both awesome and 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 bad if you're chasing a really retro crt experience where you could basically see the holes between mario's head and body because of the scan lines like you don't get that with with high line count monitors or smaller monitors where it's jammed in so it's the best of you know Mm. the fact that you have a consumer tv and that you have the best of both worlds so you could experience whatever you're in the mood for if nothing else for my back, like it was just getting hard to move these things around the place. And I, I have a few in my storage room, a few 30 inch consumer sets, you know, you see on the classifieds, the Craigslist, whatever, and you go, go pick it up. And then I have a storage of these wondering what the hell I'm going to do with them. But I settled on the 20 inch. It's something a 20 inch consumer model is something I can move myself. I don't need a trolley to move it or call friends over. So that's how that's why I found my sweet spot. Yeah, I've gotten so used to that. I found a, a 32-inch <coughs> consumer CRT with an HDMI input. Ooh. And I went to pick it up. And I never tell anybody who I am because a lot of people, you know, once again, it's just the way it is. A lot of people are scumbags. And I show up and they're like, mm. oh, it's worth money? So I think you should give me 500, not 100. And it's just, I don't react well in bargaining situations like that. <laughs> you know, I was an angry kid. I try to not be that person anymore. So I'm just like, oh, yeah, I'm, I'm going to use it for video games. And people always want to ask questions. And I try to be vague. And then I'm, you know, the guy that I, I was talking to, he's like, well, um, I'm not sure how we're going to get it out. I'm like, well, I'll just move. I got it. And he's like, uh, are you sure? I'm like, I, I've moved these before. And, you know, he's like, well, I'll help. So we got it up the stairs. And then we get we put it down on the ground and he goes, oh, I don't think it's going to fit in your car. I went, oh, yes, it will. He's like, no, seriously. I went, just hold on a minute. Do me a favor. 
I'm going to pick this up and put it here. Just balance this. And he's like, I picked it up. I put it in the back and he's holding it. He's like, seriously, this isn't going to fit. You should come back. I reached inside, picked it up, twisted it, pulled it through, twisted it back. And it sat right in the back seat. And he's like, you really have done this before, haven't you? And I'm like, yeah, I run a web. Once it's in the car and I've already paid for it, I'm like, yeah, I run a website. I do this all the time. This is where I am. So the guy was actually really nice. He was not a scumbag at all, but I've, I've definitely dealt with the other side of things too. So. I'd been using a, uh, like a, I think you call them a hand, do you call it like hand trolley or yeah. hand, hand truck. Is that what you call them? I've been using one of those and I sort of got one and I put padding around it and I'd put a little pallet on the bottom. So, uh, and I had this, I had a, tw- a 32 inch Sony on it, I think. And I was using, it had the three wheels so I could take it down the stairs on my own. And I built this whole <laughs> thing and I'd, I'd even, cause I've got this sort of big old Volvo. I was even able to put that whole thing into the back. Oh. And I developed this whole system. But then that was the day that, and this is another long story, my car burnt down. Oh, you got to tell that story. My car, I, I went to this, I had to get an engine rebuild. I got told to go to this dodgy Russian guy. Uh, he only pays cash, but he'll do the job cheap, too cheap. And I got my car back. There was a fuel leak and I got home and there was just flames coming out of my motor. And I immediately, of course, jump out of the car. I'm like, oh, oh, oh. got to call the fire department, forgetting that I've got uh, a PVM and I've got this 30-inch Trinitron in the back of the car. And actually my Wii as well, now <laughs> I think about it. And uh, I, hope, I was taking shit to my storage room that day, and that's the day my car burnt. So I had to, first of all, I mean, it's a very surreal experience to stand there and watch your car up in flames. And then later on to realize like, oh, the Trinitron was in there. And uh, I did salvage the BVM out of it. Um, it was still it was waterlogged, and I ended up uh, putting it into the sauna on low for about thirty minutes, and just low, like you couldn't. Yeah. It wasn't like a hot hot sauna, just to make sure the water was out of it. And it turned on, and it worked for about two weeks. And and since then, after about two weeks, it seems like somehow the smoke or the water damage really just corroded into the BV, the PVM. And now I can it's tell you exactly what that good. was. This is why, this is why you don't put motherboards in dishwashers. Anybody that does that is a moron. I mean, with the exception <laughs> of like, I've seen people take dishwashers out, hooked up distilled water to it and stuff like that. I mean, your home dishwasher next to your plates. I get so disgusted when, especially when big YouTubers show videos like, look how clean my motherboard looks. That's the end result is eventually that impurities in the water um, would get into, you know, underneath the capacitor, underneath the resistor and start to corrode out those traces. So while yours got hosed by a fire department it was probably dead anyway what you might have been able to do is actually take a computer cleaner you know a couple of cans spray the whole thing which is very unnerving spraying liquid on electronics but it's totally safe you could have doused it in uh you know distilled water then give it an alcohol bath and put it in a uv thing but there's so many nooks and crannies in those BVMs. You would pretty much, in order to salvage that, you would have had to have immediately taken the entire thing apart, take every board out, and then dip everyone in. And, and it just, I mean, you're talking two days worth of work. So, Just for that. And the thing stinks as well, like from the smoke and also from, I think, whatever the fire department use. And it's not just water they use. So the thing stinks to high hell. So uh, unfortunately, how dear fallen comrade that pvm was a a write-off that day so yeah i lost a trinitron and a pvm that day but we live and we learn 
And it's okay because I got more, so it's fine. It's so funny. I, you know, I, it's so odd that I've seen so many car fires in my life. There is no reason that I should have seen as many car fires as I did. But driving down the road, just engulfed, engulfed in flames. We were walking by the, the the lake when I was in high school, and I see black smoke coming up. <clears throat> I was with the you know whatever girl I was dating at the time, and we was like, well, let's go see what that is. We ran in, and there's just a car completely engulfed in flames, and these two douchebag pompous. Uh, uh, lifeguards came up they're like hold on we got this and I, I started laughing i'm like oh let's see what these idiots do and i mean the car is the car is a shell now right it's a shell completely engulfed in flames and you know douche one goes over he's like is anybody in there is everybody okay and it's like it's a skeleton you could see the metal inside where the seats were there's very clearly no person in this car nor has there been since the fire started i was laughing so hard all right get back guys we want to make sure that we're safe like ah you moron so yeah i've seen so many so many car fires in my life i've never started any for the record but uh, that's good that's good bob that's don't don't start the car. I didn't mean to start the car fire. It just sort of happened that your whole life flashes in front of your eyes. You're like, that was my car. Yeah. I had one friend. Uh, he it's always okay. had like a, a nice car, at least nice for the time. Like when you're 19, a nice car is not a, a nice car when you're an adult. Yeah. But he always had a nicer car and he always had a beater, uh, mostly for insurance reasons, but also, you know, for work. And it was a smart move. I copied him. I did the same thing, saved a bunch of money. And one of these days he was like, you know, why do I have full coverage insurance on both of these? Like, I imagine after two or three years, I would have paid more in insurance than that piece of crap car is worth. I'm going to just cancel my insurance on it and keep it on the good one. The next day, the next day, he's driving down the street and he turns on the air conditioner and smoke starts pouring through the car and he, he pulls over and he, he pops the hood and he doesn't even get to the front when he sees like smoke start to pour out. So he's like, there's more money worth of stuff in the trunk than there is in the car. So he's like, it's telling whoever's in the car, like call 911. And he's, he's just running, making trips out of the <laughs> trunk, like trying to run like 20 feet away to pile his stuff up. And he said the fire department showed up right as he got the last expensive thing out of the trunk. And then everything else was, was done. But that's some luck for you right there. huh? I had the same thing after my car was on fire. Every, every motherfucker comes up to me. You got the insurance? Like, no, it wasn't insured. Oh, you didn't have the insurance. Like, oh, yes. Thank you for telling me now. I did. That's about (laughs) as helpful as like stubbing your foot. Yeah. And you're hopping up and down and somebody comes over. Stub your foot. Yeah. Fuck you. (laughs) What's it look like I did? (laughs) Oh, Bobby. I'm, uh. I guess we should probably close it down a little bit, but uh, one thing I definitely wanted to ask is, do you have any funny or crazy or noteworthy comedian-esque stories, whether you're something you saw when you were running these or something up on stage? Because, you know, just to circle back for a minute, I'm, I've always been a giant fan of comedy, and I've always been fascinated by it and, and appreciated it, but I've seen people, I've seen people control a room in a way that was almost cult-like in nature, and I've seen people bomb so hard that my soul hurt for them when i saw it so uh, do you have any good bad indifferent any stories that you wanted to share that might be fun hmm. not uh we, we're in a lockdown now but i think it was probably about january i think we did a, it was a very small open mic probably 
25, 25 people in the room. And one uh, young lady was being very drunk and very obnoxious and wouldn't shut up. And the host is like, please be quiet. Please be quiet. This goes on. Each comedian is saying, and the problem is that person becomes the, the show then because they're always interrupting, particularly in a small space. And then I think after the halftime and many warnings from the host, it's like, we're at the back of the room, like, okay, this is a problem. And the host is like, you need to leave. This is, you've almost wrecked this whole show. And, and so the host is telling her, please leave. These are getting, and they're very pissed off with her. They're like, shut up. You're, in, you're interrupting our show. The audience, like the host starts a chant of leave, 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 leave. And there's this chick like, nah, I don't want to leave. We've got comedians. We're just walking up, please. How about you just, and like, no, I don't want to go. And we're like, how do you think this is going to turn out, drunk chick? How do you think this is all going to happen right now? And uh, yeah, I guess it's that, I mean, it's ego, right? And it's that human ego thing. And I understand, okay, if there's a lot of people attacking you, your ego kicks in and you're like, ah, ah, ah. And uh, it was a very difficult one to defuse because you can't, you know, pull someone. Well, none of us are bouncers, so we can't actually grab someone. I don't know if we're even allowed to do that these days. And uh, eventually she, she kind of did leave. But um, it's not often, but sort of when you get that one, because Estonian audiences have been, are really great because they're so new to stand up. They typically don't interrupt. Uh, if anything, we had to encourage them. Yeah, like, this is not theater. You can clap. You can, <laughs> you can laugh and, and do stuff like that. And they're like, oh, wow, we never knew that before. So it's been very interesting to uh, – it's been an education process for us. Like, at first, I remember the very first shows 10 years ago when we were doing, like, first big show, like 150 people. We had to – we put some of our friends in the audience to start the laughter. And, and not like false laughter, but it was like no one would laugh if no one else was laughing. Because remember, if you take Estonia back to our conversation about the Soviet Union, no jokes in the Soviet Union, my friend. KGB does not like that shit. So people were just like, uh-uh. And we had some of our friends just sit in the audience and go, ha, oh, you know, and then people went, ah, oh, ha-ha, yes, ha-ha, oh, we laugh, yes, good. <laughs> so... It's been sort of a, a weird uh, education of our audience. And now, okay, now it's great. Now there's everyone knows how stand-up works, what they can and can't do. Uh, for, for years, for our first few years, we had one heckler. And it was like Richard. And like we knew who he was. Like, <laughs> Richard, you're heckling again. He's like, yeah, I know. I'm just drunk at the back of the room. We're like, hey, Richard, we talked about this. Let's <laughs> so. You know, it's so funny, the psychology of when you feel like you're allowed to do something in a crowd setting. And that's mm -hmm. why, like, whenever, especially after being in bands myself, like, I, I always loved going nuts in the crowd as a kid. But whenever I went to see other friends' metal bands, I was like the flavor Flav of the metal crowd. Like, <laughs> I would absolutely get everybody hyped up. Like, there would be people who were enjoying the music, but nobody else was being loud or vocal. And they would just be standing there all quiet, standing at the stage. And it's like, when you're in a metal band, the worst possible <laughs> thing that you could ever deal with is dead silence. Yeah. You feel like you haven't done your job. You feel like you haven't done anything. And even if everybody's having a good time. So, I, I mean, one of my favorite bands, I get to be friends with them, Answer Infinity from Jersey. Like, every time they got a new singer, it would always be, who the 
fuck is that guy? And AJ would be like, no, no, that's Bob. Trust me. It's a good thing, not a bad thing. Give it two songs and you'll see. And like, I'd get the whole crowd fired up. And now people are, you know, they're even afraid to come close to the stage. And now everybody's crowding to the stage. People are clapping and laughing and making noise. And, you know, whenever the guitarist do a solo, I'd scream at the top of my lungs, take your shirt off or, you know, something stupid. And, you know, it's just, yeah, it's, it's, it's funny to see the psychology of crowds like that. And it, mm. so that, that really hit home when you just told that story. Like, no, it's okay to laugh here. This isn't theater. This is a different thing. Yeah, this is, you know, you have to learn what this is. So it's, it's kind of mm. neat. Nice, mate. Well, it's been cool. It's been great talking to you, Bob. I had a really nice conversation. I'm glad you could just chill out, man. You do so much work that I'm glad. Like, anytime you want to just chill out and chat, we can do this. I'm, I'm here for you, buddy. Yeah, if you ever want a, <clears throat> an extra guest on yours or something, I always uh, always have a great time talking to you. It's always fun. It's uh, Today's always a balance of trying to talk while not talking too much and not going into a coughing fit. So excuse me if any of that was a <laughs> was an annoyance to anybody or you, but just trying to get back in the swing of things. And this was a blast. This was a lot of fun. It's good, mate. So what's so let's I mean, again, to, to fill people in about what Bob does, what's on uh, it's still it's only like midday now or something, right? So yeah. what's on Bob's schedule for the rest of the day? Uh, shoot the opening to a live stream, uh, prepare a couple of, probably takes an hour or two of footage for an upcoming review, hop on a subway and go to Brooklyn Video Games to do a swap off of a giant box to Jose, who does all my modding work because he's so much better than I am, I just don't even want to waste my time doing it anymore, pick up a bunch of stuff for somebody else and then come up, uh, come home and finish the script. So my, it's 1230 now, I'll probably be finishing the day at 9 p.m. I've been going since about seven, so it's uh, it's uh, I do enjoy all of it. I'm really looking forward to to visiting the Brooklyn Video Games crew once again. For oh, isn't there a isn't there a new store they're opening up? Did I read yeah, something about that? Yeah, that's not open yet. They just announced it, but that it is opening up. And for mm. any sticklers out there that are looking for a reason to hate me, I want to reiterate the fact that my doctor and all of the guides on the <laughs> internet said I was no longer contagious. Last Monday, I have waited an extra 10 days to leave my apartment to make sure that I am safe. So if anybody goes to Brooklyn Video Games today and gets the Rona, it is not me. So <laughs> Steve's probably going to listen to this later like, oh, you stop it. <laughs> it's, not, it's not the advertising no. he was hoping for. Corona Central, Brooklyn yeah. Video Games. VGS. <laughs> if you got the Rona, it wasn't from Bob. Like, oh, sorry. Sorry, Steve. <laughs> Well, anyway, um, so where can people find you? I, of course, will put links to everything, but you have your retro gaming YouTube channel. You have your comedy podcast YouTube channel. Are you also on um, audio only services as well? Uh, yeah. So uh, for my my podcast, my comedy podcast, talking to different comedians and people in Estonia, it's mostly Estonian based. Uh, we're, we're talking about stuff here, but if people are into it, I'm very happy for it. That's called Comedy Guy with Lewis. You can find that on your podcast app if you if you search Google or Spotify or whatever. And uh, yeah, these videos that we've been talking about, the channel is called Zez Retro. That's my last name, Zezaran. So I was like, I'm terrible at naming things. It's not I, that bad I, name I, at like all. I made the video. I made the video and I was—I still didn't have a name, so I went Zez Retro. That'll do. Uh, Zez Retro on uh, on YouTube as well. If you want to check them out, and uh, I appreciate that. And I'm I'm sort of looking for my next topic right now. I was thinking about doing something on this Ccam thing, but I'm like, Jesus, Lewis, you're getting nerdy. <laughs> like you're getting really freaking nerdy here. Yeah. So maybe I'll do something more lighthearted before the Ccam one. I'm not not sure yet. Yeah, I just want to add. I. I scrolled through your YouTube channel and you do definitely have a couple of podcasts that aren't 
insular just to the Estonian uh, com- comedy community. You have one talking about, uh, I think it was with your friend talking about Russia and what that was like, you know, growing up. There's a, there's a bunch of generalized ones. So if people want to hear more from you, it's um, you don't have to get pigeonholed into just that subject. There, there's a few other ones on there. There is. I did the one you're talking about is we did a podcast talking about the history of we broke down how McDonald's got into the Soviet Union. That's right. They did it successfully. They set up a McDonald's in the communist Soviet Union, sold Big Macs to to comrades, and uh, it was a success. And it's still so we we spent an hour talking about that. And it's one of again like the sec like as I looked into Sega and I went ah oh, McDonald's. And then, you know, that leads you down another rabbit hole and another rabbit hole. So I'm happy that that, that people are interested in what we're, we're putting out Awesome. Here. Well, thanks again for doing this. Uh, we're definitely going to do another one at some point on one of our channels. Uh, and I'll, of course, post links to all of your stuff down below. Thanks, Bob. You have a good day Thank now. You.